0: Support for WAER Original Podcasts comes from California Closets of Syracuse, located in DeWitt. California Closets can help you get your entire home organized with custom-designed storage solutions for the home office, kitchen pantry, closets, and more. Online at californiaclosets.com. The zombie first shuffled into Western popular culture in the 1920s through colonialist fiction like W.B. Seabrook's The Magic Island about the mysterious and magical Caribbean. But in 1968, the zombie was transformed from a mindless servant in Haiti to a menacing threat who was mainly hungry, hungry for human flesh. George Romero's Night of the Living Dead, which interestingly never uses the term zombie, created our modern image of the undead as shuffling creatures with one mindless goal— Eating us, The Ravenous Dead have been a staple of horror narratives ever since, appearing in numerous films, ranging from Return of the Living Dead to Shaun of the Dead. But perhaps the most successful and certainly most sustained zombie narrative premiered on Halloween night 2010 on AMC, The Walking Dead. The series became an overnight cultural sensation and ratings winner. In fact, the fifth season premiere garnered an audience of 17.3 million viewers, making it the most watched series episode in cable history. While the series did not retain those record breaking numbers, it did shuffle on for six more seasons, finally coming to an end on November 20th, 2022, with the end of season 11. But as the saying goes, you can't keep a good zombie down, and this summer, the Walking Dead are back with a spin off series, Walking Dead, Dead City. I'm Kendall Phillips, and on this episode of Pop Life, we'll explore the legacy of The Walking Dead and the persistent popularity of the zombie. Here to guide us through the land of the undead is Dr. Kyle William Bishop. Dr. Bishop is professor and chair of English at Southern Utah University and author of American Zombie Gothic and How Zombies Conquered Popular Culture. Kyle, welcome to Pop Life.
1: Thank you so much
0: for inviting me to
1: be on this uh, monumental show.
0: It's a very important show. And since you are Dr. Zombie, you are clearly the number one person to go to. So I got to start by asking, if you think of kind of the pantheon of great zombie fiction, like your Mount Rushmore of the undead, would Walking Dead get a place in that pantheon of the great zombie narratives of all time? Oh, yeah. I mean, it would
1: have to. Um, it's the only zombie narrative that has attempted to explore a uh, long-term, full-scale zombie apocalypse. And it's uh, not only the longest-running zombie series, it's the longest-running zombie comic book. And it's it's the only one that really effectively said, you know, what would happen, you know, 5, 10, 15 years after the zombie apocalypse. And so just its, um, its audacity earns it a place in the Pantheon, but also the, the, the reach, mean, There's lots of people that have probably watched episodes of the walking dead that have never seen a George Romero film. And so I think this is really the show, the narrative that, um, really put zombies in firmly in a, a popular culture that went beyond just kind of fan culture.
0: You know, it's interesting. Just a few episodes back, we had a a wonderful uh, person talking about Korean popular culture and the way Korean narratives have suddenly become sort of everywhere. And she was making the point that zombies were not a big part of Korean popular culture really until The Walking Dead. And then The Walking Dead comes and Korean filmmakers and TV makers start latching onto zombies. So it is quite shocking what a global scope The Walking Dead has had, you know, in terms of its impact on popular culture.
1: Yeah, no, and I think that's a really good point because um, after 2010 we really started seeing this mass proliferation of the zombie uh, you know what what i and others have called the zombie renaissance where they've really come they came back in full force and I'm glad you mentioned Korea because a lot of uh, the action, as it were, for the zombie right now is in Korea. That's where some of the most innovative, uh, and certainly most violent zombie narratives are coming to us, uh, thanks largely to Netflix. But I, I do encourage listeners to check out some of the some of the Korean zombies. They're really great stuff.
0: No, all of us are dead was one of my favorite. But in fact, I should say, and I should say this: my wife uh, is a, is actually a bigger Walking Dead fan than I am. As I was explaining to Kevin, our, our my producer here a second ago, um, before we watched the final episodes of The Walking Dead, she decided we would wait, and she wanted to rewatch the entirety of the oh, series. Wow. So all 11 uh, seasons. And then, of course, she's falling in love with every uh, Korean zombie. But I'm wondering, we should probably take a step back and talk a little bit about Robert Kirkman's comic book, which is sometimes I think gets overlooked in the sensation around The Walking Dead. Talk to me about that comic book and kind of its place in zombie narratives.
1: Yeah. So Kirkman uh, was was right there at the, the cusp of this, this resurgence of zombies that kind of happened um, after nine eleven, with with things like uh, Danny Boyle's Twenty Eight Days Later, uh, but the zombie because the zombie was was still around. It was showing up a lot in video games, like the Resident Evil franchise, and it was showing up in comics. And Kirkman had this uh, kind of I used the word audacious before, and I've got to use it again. This idea of I'm going to create an epic zombie narrative, not a one off or a, a simple movie or even a sequel. But he said I wanted to know what would happen in a in a zombie apocalyptic landscape over years, not just a few hours or a few months. And so he really wanted to explore the long-term significance of a zombie outbreak. And one of the things he did that I I cherish him for is he wanted to take it seriously. Hmm. He wanted to really think about what would it look like? What would the collapse of society look like? What would people have to do to survive and who would be the survivors? What kind of people were, would be survivors? And I'll just put it out there right now. I don't think I would make it. Uh, I don't think <laughs> I have the, uh, the wherewithal and I certainly don't have the, the kind of bloodthirsty uh, survive at all, all costs instinct that would get me through there. Uh, so over the course of his comic, he was able to take this group of characters and show them, develop and progress and succeed and fail and live and die in a way that I don't think we've ever seen in any comic, really. I mean, obviously some of these superhero titles go on for years and years and years and years, but The Walking Dead affords uh, readers a continuity that we've never seen. And and this this huge sprawling arc that I found um, extremely rewarding uh, from from beginning to end. With, with different challenges, with different villains, with different developments, uh, with true character arcs, not just uh, archetypes. And so I think that really did set the stage and, and pave the way for what AMC dared to do.
0: And, and and my memory is that the comic and the television series are relatively close. I know there's some notable deviations on characters who live and characters who don't make it, but, uh, but it's actually yeah. fairly close to what Kirkman wrote in the first place.
1: Well, and that's so fascinating to me because, in addition to uh, studying zombie narratives, I do quite a bit with adaptation studies, and how do you how do you get a story from one medium to the other? The television series was the obvious choice to adapt a comic book series, but in the comic book, the the writer and illustrator have complete control over the characters. Once you got it on TV. Now we got actors who, who maybe don't wanna work on the same project for 10 years. And so for those who have read the comic and watched the TV show, some characters die in the show because the actors choose to leave the show. But that character arc continues to exist in the comic. So that has to be like transferred to another character. And I found it really fascinating to follow that. Uh, but, yeah, the main things, the main beats in the comic book, uh, the farm, the prison, uh, the governor, Negan, uh, Hilltop, the the Commonwealth, all these things are in the comic. And it, it does follow the comic really, really well. It I was, think most noteworthy and surprising is Daryl Dixon isn't in the comic at all. Right. Uh, he, he was, was the one major
0: the character, State right? Bush. Yeah. And, and why do you think Daryl is introduced? What's the role of Daryl in the TV series? Uh, what's his point? Like, why do we need him in the TV series, I suppose?
1: Well, I, my understanding is that um, when Kirkman was involved uh, with with the irish, initial creation of the show with, with Darabond at the helm, um, and I can't remember where I read this. It was years ago that I read it. But he thought this was a great opportunity to, like, tell the story of The Walking Dead again, mm-hmm. to retell it and to try some things on the show that weren't, uh, he didn't try in the comic. And I don't know exactly his motivation or, or anybody's motivation for bringing on the, the Dixon brothers, but I think it did up the stakes really quickly. It provided us um, a season-long villain that was kind of lacking in the comic, a villain to focus everybody around. And to give us kind of the a character who wasn't in the comic, this this kind of stereotypical bad boy, right? Bad boy redemption. He's super cool. He knows how to do everything. And so, thanks a lot to Norman Reedus, we ended up with a character who was hugely popular, hugely popular. And so, Daryl becomes uh, by the end of The Walking Dead, he's the he's kind of the main star along with with Carol, Melissa McBride, they become the helmers of the series. And uh, one of them was never in the comic, and the other one died really early on in the comic. And now they become kind of the people we're rooting for. And then Daryl shows up in video games. Uh, he's got a spinoff coming up. And so I, I think that uh, the creative minds behind it um, were really lucky or super smart to say this is the type of character we're missing in the comic, let's put one. Let's put this guy in the uh, TV show and see what see what happens. Yeah, and I
0: I, I won't say that my wife was watching The Walking Dead because of Daryl, but I won't not say that she wasn't watching The Walking Dead. Now, talking about the creatives uh, behind the scenes here, I guess there are a couple people we should at least mention. One, of course, you mentioned is Frank Darabont, who was the original showrunner, uh, came out of movies. What kind of role, like, what role did he have in getting this first season up to such a uh, tremendous success?
1: Well, he he did it. Uh, That first season, which is only six episodes, um, I think it's still the best season.
0: Mm. Um,
1: It's tight. It's controlled. Uh, It does adapt the the comic book pretty effectively. But the idea was, again, to my understanding, AMC said, let's take a gamble on this. We're only going to do six episodes because this is super crazy. We're going to do a a zombie narrative and we're not going to pull any punches because that first season was gory and violent and graphic to a level we really had never seen on broadcast or or cable television before. But by bringing in Darabont, who, let's not forget, is responsible for the highest rated movie on Internet Movie Database, Shawshank Redemption, that that guy knows how to make a, make a movie. Mm. He knows how to tell a story. And so his efforts on that first season is what brought in the fan base. It brought in the ratings that no one had ever seen before. It showed AMC that they could actually make a multi-season sustainable and successful uh, TV show out of this. And so uh, Darabont really did the groundwork by essentially making a six-hour movie and bringing all of his cinematic experience and all of his familiarity with these types of narratives. I'm sure that his experience working on uh, Stephen King adaptations was helpful. And he he laid the foundation. And that's why I always like to refer to Darabont, even though he was only involved in that first season. He really was the creator. He created the show, and then additional showrunners picked it up and did their thing with it. But without Darabont, we had no series. We, we would never have seen 11 se- seasons of this thing.
0: No, and it, it does seem to me, you know, the, it, the Walking Dead was one of those series that kind of laid the proof of what I guess now people call prestige television that you could have sophisticated, somewhat difficult viewing aimed largely at adults that is not 30 minutes or an hour, everything wrapped up, that people will come and they'll watch and they'll sit through long, sustained, complicated narratives like we got about the same time with Mad Men and, and of course, all the various shows on HBO and now the streaming services ever since, and so maybe Darabont was one of the people who said if people will watch long, complicated movies, they'll sit and watch long, complicated television shows.
1: Yeah, and if anything, they prefer it. Sure. And that was a big shift that we saw. started kind of in the 90s, but this idea of instead of episodic television, it's seasonal television. And each season tells a, a long-form cinematic story. And we started getting that a little bit with... Uh, you know with with uh, the sopranos and and deadwood and then just ahead of walking dead of course was breaking bad also on amc and yeah storytelling really shifted and 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 i think streaming culture has affected this as well uh, people want these longer narratives they want to be with characters for more than 2 hours or if they're going to have a tv show they want the characters to be deeper and more complex than just you know, the same thing every week. And I think uh, one of the things Walking Dead did that other shows did, but nobody did it to this scale, is they were not shy about killing off people. Uh, beloved characters uh, dying. Um, actors you would think would not leave the show or dying. Characters you felt confident were gonna make it because they're in the comic, they were dying. And so this, this ro- revolving door of stars and and characters and actors, over multiple years really gave viewers an emotional connection to this narrative that we've never seen before.
0: You definitely, uh, certainly at the height of, Of the popularity at least in my mind you did have that feeling that no one was safe that you really were every week anything could happen but before we shift a little bit talking about the kind of high points and what made walking dead work there's at least one other figure i feel probably deserves some attention uh at least a mention, is greg nicotera uh, who came on as the kind of special effects guy um and i think brought a lot of that gore and realism to the series and then stayed on as as the showrunner for quite some time
1: yeah. Nicotero is amazing. So he really uh, he made a name for himself big time in the the great uh, early 80s slasher film era where he and Tom Savini were working, um, working on making super realistic gore on screen. And but but he's got all that experience behind him. So it's not just about gore for him. It's about storytelling and Nicotero's done makeup, he's acted, he took over the show, he's directed. And so I do think if we're going to talk about the series as a whole, uh, the the lifeblood of the 11 season series is certainly Nicotero. Um, he's he's the guy who, who took it up and kept it going and hung in there and made it something that's um, truly, truly remarkable. And I think something that will be studied um for years this idea of how did how did this show even happen and how did it work well nikateron he knows
0: he definitely gets a lot of credit and i think also a lot of credit for me at least as a viewer uh, with the look of the show and its use of practical effects, which for me was one of the real high points of The Walking Dead, is that they did not sugarcoat the gore. It was not covered with visual or video you know, special effects, computer generated. It was a lot of practical effects, latex and blood and gore. But for you, what were some of the things that made The Walking Dead work as a series? What were some of the high points of characters or storylines or just things that you think really stood out over the 11 seasons?
1: Well, I think one of them you've already nailed. And I am like a many horror fans, horror movie fans, the practical effects are essential. Mm. And the fact that this wasn't CGI, it it looked tangible, it looked real. And to see what the the crew could do with with the zombie that we'd kind of come accustomed to in the cinema. But what we were seeing here was different kinds of zombies. And it was always fun. Every few episodes, you'd get a new kind of zombie, (laughs) like a a burned zombie or a bloated zombie or an ocean zombie. Uh, And over the course of the series, we start seeing zombies older and older. Zombies that have been around for a decade. What would they look like? And so that, that use of practical effects and simply just the pushing of the envelope is one of the things that kept me coming back. Because I have to admit that part of me was thinking, what are they going to get away with? What are they <laughs> going to show next? Because knowing the comic, the comic was always ahead, I would know certain storylines and think, oh man, there's no way they're going to be able to do that on TV. And then they would do it. Uh, just amazing. So that is definitely part of it. The horror fan in me was attracted to that. Mm-hmm. Now the 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 English professor in me was certainly attracted to the characters and the the ability for this story to give us fully formed three dimensional characters, characters with heroic tendencies and and heroic flaws. Uh, The idea that Rick is not always a good guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, The fact that sometimes in retrospect, Shane had a good point. Uh, The idea that you would get attached to somebody like um, Herschel Green and then have to lose him. Right. And so over the course of the series, one of the things that I really, really loved was the arcs, these story arcs and these character arcs that um, even though characters would come and go, there would always be somebody on the show I could relate to and I could connect to somebody for me to root for and to, um, you know, hope didn't die. (laughs) And then they (laughs) usually did. But I think really um, the look and the feel of the show is certainly noteworthy. But I would say, since it's a zombie show, you've got to have good zombies. You've got to have some good horror and gore. But because it's a long arc, multi-season narrative, you've got to have good characters. And you've got to have characters that the audience comes back for week after week, because we want to know what happens to these people that we've come to actually care about. And I think that, at the end of the day, is the, the big strength of the show.
0: No, it makes perfect sense. And then when we think about you know that that beginning of season five, that opener is is the biggest rating, seventeen point three million people, which is a pretty staggering number for cable television. All coming back mainly to see who who is killed. We know someone's going to die. You we end up finding out two people die, um, and I think the audiences came, but. At least popularity-wise, after that season five opener, we see the numbers declining. I think I saw that the final, final episode in November 2022 uh, had something like 1.9 million viewers, nothing really compared to the seven or eight million before that. So. Were there weaknesses in The Walking Dead? Did it just go on too long? Did it jump the shark, as the kids say? What what what, what, what did you think of the weaknesses of The Walking Dead as it kind of well, moved I've, its way through?
1: I've thought about this a lot, and I've talked to a lot of people. Uh, for some people, by by the time Negan comes around, he his character, and this is right out of the comic, is so brutal, and the show for a period got so nihilistic. Hmm. I know a lot of people who tapped out. Uh, they just couldn't emotionally handle it anymore so it wasn't necessarily that they were um they thought the storytelling had gotten bad they were just done they were checked out and and because they couldn't handle any more emotional trauma and that's so tricky because on the Mm -hmm. one hand it proves that the show was doing its job that it was telling this uh no holds barred uh no punches pulled narrative it was sticking to the comic but for a lot of uh, viewers that was just, they couldn't do it. It went too far down that road. Sure. Because um, initially a lot of people hooked onto this TV show who weren't horror fans. They were just television fans. They want they were att- attracted to the, uh, the narrative. And they had to go through some rough times to get up to season five, but then it just got too much. Uh, sure. The whole Negan stuff got too much. So I think that's what happened to a lot of people. Um, for a lot of people, it did go on too long, um, and I can understand that because even though the story el- escalates and there's different narratives, um, we don't see a lot of development in the zombies. The zombies are kind of the same from the beginning to the end, and there there were stretches of time where the zombies were simply in the background, mm. weren't a particularly relevant part of the storyline, um, so I do think some people just got kind of tired, got kind of a little bored with it. And because zombies were doing different things in other TV shows, in other films, uh, people started wandering off to check out a different kind of zombie story. Because even by the end of this show, we're still basically talking about George Romero zombies. This is, this is the Romero version uh, where the zombies are, are dead. They're animated dead. They turn people into zombies. They're slow moving. They're not particularly smart. And so people were being drawn to things like, you know, iZombie, very radically different version of the zombie than we were seeing uh, from Romero's days. Or they were going back to shorter form, more easily consumed uh, movie narratives, etc. Now, for me, I had to take a break because I did get a little emotionally overwhelmed and Mm, exhausted. And then i would get back in it and i'd get caught up and i'd watch for a while and then i'd get a little bored and i'd go do something else uh, but ultimately i did come back because i i just had to know i had to know what happened to these people and i'm guessing that a lot of people who gave up on the show will eventually pick it back up and finish it out uh, but that will be more of a boon to uh, netflix than to amc <laughs>
0: So or maybe the spin-offs. But before we get to the spin-offs, I had one other uh, question and, and sort of picking up on some of the threads that you've mentioned already. We probably agree that 9-11 was a big part of the resurgence of, of horror generally and, and the zombie and the kind of post-apocalyptic kind of narrative that that cultural experience for the United States and really the whole world after 9-11 of sort of facing this moment that felt very uncertain and the world turned upside down. But I'm wondering for The Walking Dead, if you have a sense for you, if there is a, is there a politics of The Walking Dead? Is there a political message that it's connecting to beyond 9-11 that kind of works its way through the series? What do you make of the politics of The Walking Dead?
1: Well, it comes and goes. Um, I think the show has been relatively good at being somewhat neutral in terms Mm -hmm. of politics. But it did it was born out of the the 911 culture the fear of the the more tangible fear of death that folks in the United States felt for the first time in a generation mm-hmm. or two and I think that's that kind of explains a lot of the resurgence in zombie narratives but this was definitely that idea of nobody's safe you know even on U.S soil we can face uh death and destruction. So I think that's where it started And then as a, the series progressed, it occasionally has some messages about about contagion right it taps mm. into our fears of swine flu avian flu now covid you know all these things are going to keep coming around i think there is a pretty strong message about um leadership right this idea of what To what extent will will people go to keep people safe? Mm. There's a lot of ethical concerns that are brought up in the series, because um, the only way to survive the zombie apocalypse is to be somewhat monstrous yourself. Everybody has to make tough decisions. Everybody has to do horrible things to survive. Is that a, a commentary on contemporary political leaders and political systems? Maybe, but I don't think it's primary. Um, And so I think I'll be as bold as to say that this show is mostly about entertainment, whereas I think Romero's films are mostly commentary, social commentary. Um, We get that occasionally in The Walking Dead, but not overwhelmingly. Uh, Mostly it's just, let's see what happens to these folks when confronted by the worst of humanity. I think that's really the, the broader picture here.
0: Yeah it's interesting I'm I'm vaguely remembering a, a quote quote from George Romero about The Walking Dead saying well it's a soap opera with zombies thrown in it's not really a zombie narrative so maybe speaking yeah. to your idea of uh, maybe it's not quite the political message that uh, Romero had across his many dead films but of course we will have More Walking Dead. We're going to have more death and destruction uh, visited uh, onto us. We've already had some spinoffs. We had uh, Fear the Walking Dead, uh, which started out in Los Angeles and then kind of made its way eventually to Texas. We had Walking Dead, the world beyond set in the kind of more protected, uh, more sophisticated civilization. Uh, And now we have some new spinoffs. What do you think of the Walking Dead spinoffs? Have they been successful in carrying the narrative forward?
1: Mm, I think they've added it. I think they've definitely added particularly to the fan base i don't know and i can't say whether or not they pull in new viewers Um, i think that people mostly drawn to the the spin-offs are going to be fans of the original and i think that's pretty true of any spin-off that you're really kind of catering to that core audience now some spin-offs you know they transcend uh the original show but for the most part spin-offs are a one two season uh deal because they don't bring everybody over. Now there's examples of really disastrous spinoffs. Like I have to think of after MASH, right? Uh, We'll do a spinoff of the most successful (laughs) TV show of maybe all time and it just tanked. Uh, You've still got to have the heart and soul of the original. You've got to be able to bring your fans with you. So uh, I think that with with the Walking Dead spinoffs, we're going to see a little bit of hit and miss. Now, Fear the Walking Dead has done really pretty well. And I think part of that is there's uh, there's a simultaneity with the original series. There's Mm. crossover of characters. It really is grounded in that one. Um, But some of the other efforts haven't haven't fared as well. But it's always hard, in my opinion, it's always hard to have a spinoff when the original series is still on the air. And so I'm mostly speaking from personal experience, but I started Fear the Walking Dead and I watched Mm -hmm. the first season, but I finally was like, I just, I can't do two of these at the same time. (laughs) It's just, it's just too much of a commitment. It's too much to ask. I've got other stuff going on. So I'm actually, now that I'm finished with Walking Dead, I'm going and picking up Fear the Walking Dead. But I think the potentially, I don't want to get myself in trouble here, but potentially the new spinoffs have the potential to do better Mm. because they're picking up where the series ended instead of trying to go, go simultaneous because one of the problems you have with that is your spinoff becomes your competition. Sure. And here now the spinoff is a continuation and there are untold stories and there are characters that people want to see more from. So they're not dumb they're going to tell stories involving daryl and carol and maggie and negan and rick and michonne i mean those are the big popular characters those are the characters uh that they left us hanging a little bit uh uh, at the the season finale especially the rick and michonne tease uh, which i thought was (laughs) Mm. heavy-handed but you watch that last little five minutes of the last episode of the walking dead you're going to want to tune in and say, wait a minute, what? How did we get here? What's going on? So I think they've been positioning themselves well and marketing it all very well. So I think we do have a chance of uh, getting some successful post-The Walking Dead spinoffs that will probably transcend the simultaneous spinoffs, unless people are really tired of this. And uh, only time will tell.
0: It does make, I will say this is going to be my bad hot take. I, the only thing I was disappointed with the spinoffs that are going to be coming, including the, the first one, Dead City, that's coming out in June, was that it felt like that series finale that I wanted to feel like a series finale didn't really feel like a finale. It felt like – it's like when you say goodbye to someone and you get in the elevator and they're on the same elevator. And you say, well, we just said goodbye and now we're going to ride an elevator and awkwardly sit there with each other. So I kind of felt like I didn't get the closure that I really wanted. It was more, uh, we'll see you soon. Right.
1: I think that is a fantastic analogy and I'm glad you said that. Because I thought I was the only one who got really (laughs) awkward when I saw someone I just said goodbye to. Uh, I do think that that is a potential – Problem uh, that it's like look it's all done and happily ever after and oh, nope. No, it's not.
0: Yeah, here we go again. It'll also
1: be interesting because the spin-offs depart from the comic and I don't know how many comic fans There are among the TV fans, but it is now uncharted territory, right? They're moving ahead uh, Without Kirkman's net so that'll
0: they'll have to have good writers
1: and tell good stories.
0: So time will tell. Well, Kyle, our protagonist on The Walking Dead, as you know, struggled to survive an apocalyptic world filled with zombies. Here on Pop Life, Kyle, our guest, struggle to survive an apocalyptic world filled with a game we call The Fast Five. So, Kyle, I'm going to ask you five slightly irreverent questions with either-or answers. I'm going to ask you to follow your heart and give me, right off right off the top of your head, your number one answer, starting with question number one for you, Kyle. We start here with the perennial question for every zombie scholar. Kyle? Fast zombies or slow zombies? Uh, slow. <laughs> slow? Oh, good. And I know
1: I get a lot of grief for that, but I think slow is scarier.
0: I'm with you. I don't need a track meet. I, I, I like slow and shuffling, plus it gives me some hope that my uh, I could waddle my way out of trouble. Question number two for you, Kyle. Over the years, zombies have not been entirely mindless. Which of these semi-sentient zombies was your favorite? Would it be Bub, the lovable test subject in George Romero's Day of the Dead, or Fido, the zombie pet played by Sir Billy Connolly in the film Fido?
1: Yeah, I got to go with Fido. I love Bob, don't get me wrong, but Fido is, he's awesome, so Fido.
0: And it's Sir Billy Connolly, I think he gets credit for that. Question number three for you. Um, Kyle, if the dead do rise, which would you pick as your strategy? Barricade yourself in the basement and wait for help? Or make a run for the Canadian border.
1: <laughs> uh, you got to make the run, because uh, if you if you look at most of the 20th century narratives, they hole up and they they die. Uh, it's it's only with the movement that you have a chance at survival. So I got to quote World War Z here and say, movement is life.
0: Movement is life. And of course, we know zombies cannot cross the Canadian border because that somehow magically stops all zombies. So question number four for you, Kyle, turning now to The Walking Dead. If you were trying to make your way through the end of the world, who would you pick as your traveling companion? Would it be Daryl or Carol?
1: Oh, Carol. Carol's a better baker.
0: I, you know, I, I, I asked this question to my wife, and she said, no question, Daryl. And I thought, what do you—I wh- don't feel like I know this woman after 28 years of marriage. Clearly, <laughs> I'm with you. Carol is absolutely the answer. Qu- finally, question number five for you. While AMC and Robert Kirkman seem to have plenty of ideas for new Walking Dead series, which of our pop life ideas would you be most excited to watch? Would you watch a game show entitled Wheel of the Walking Dead or the ultimate series crossover, Law and Order, WDU, The Walking Dead Unit? Oh,
1: geez. I got to go with The Walking Dead Unit.
0: I just want to hear the dun-dun. I think that would be the perfect yeah, I mean, way. Yeah, give to... us
1: that and give us some drama. I don't think the uh, the game show would end well for anyone.
0: It does seem, in retrospect, maybe not the best idea. But speaking of good ideas, Kyle, you've given us a lot of great ideas. We always love to end our episodes asking our guests, what is in your pop life? What are you loving in popular culture these days?
1: All right. So I am uh, I'm doing a couple of things. I'm trying to get caught up on some 80s slasher films uh, for... Or the podcast i'm i'm a part of um i'm also knuckling down to catch up on my uh my marvel cinematic universe so i am working through some of the disney plus series some are better than others uh, but really i'm immersed right now in dracula uh, i'm teaching a, a study abroad class this summer and will be traveling to uh, romania with wow. students so i'm really immersed in the the lore surrounding that amazing novel and everything that goes on with it. So I know it's old, but I think we can still call it pop culture.
0: I love it. So we've got Captain America, Jason, and Dracula all together joining Kyle Bishop on his amazing podcast. Kyle, thank you so much for joining us. And to our listeners, I'll just say, remember, when the dead do rise from their graves, we are planning to interview Elvis right here on Pop Life. I will see you all next time.
1: Thanks for listening to Pop Life, a production of WAER, Syracuse Public Media. You can find archived episodes at WAER.org. And don't forget to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen for automatic delivery of new episodes.